James Bryan Smith, a native of Kansas, a neighbor of ours who still lives in Wichita, a wonderful Christian writer, says that our God is constantly generous. Everything we have is a gift. Amen? Our God is constantly generous. Everything we have is a gift. And as you open your Bibles today to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and following to the end of the chapter will be our key scripture. We're focusing on our next step of begin giving. Our fifth next step, begin giving. Most of you do give, but there are some of you that do not. And you may need to hear And for those of us that do give regularly to our church, it's a reminder of God's generosity and the blessings attached to it. Our scripture memory verse for the month we'll put on the screen, and that scripture memory verse reminds us of one of those foundations for giving and loving God. Let's say it together. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12, 10. When we love others... It's natural for us to give to them. When we honor others, it is natural for us to give to them. That's how God wired us. As we consider our next steps, remember our next steps are about clearly calling Christ followers to obedience. What's the next thing we might do in relation to our church, in relation to not the building that is the church, but the family that is the church to one another? What's the next right step? For us to keep taking as we develop as followers of Jesus. Let's review quickly. The first one of our next steps is follow Jesus. And follow Jesus means get saved. Trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. You need to realize that you are a sinner and your sin had condemned you to eternity, separated from God in hell, and you need a Savior. And that Savior, according to Scripture, the one and only Savior, the one and only way to be meaning, and that's an is Jesus. But follow Jesus has a deeper meaning, a secondary meaning, and that's an ongoing life as a Christ follower, a disciple, a student, a learner. Your second next step is get baptized. Once you have followed Jesus as your Savior, as soon as reasonably possible, you should get baptized. Get baptized as a believer, the way that Jesus showed us an example. And that is not baptism by Sprinkling, or not baptism by pouring, but baptism by immersion. That's what the word means. It means to be immersed in the water. And it is not baptism as a child, or not baptism when you complete a certain class, or not baptism as an infant. It is a baptism when you are a believer, when you have professed your own personal faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, not because your mom and dad said so, Or the church said so that at a certain time you had to do it. Believer's baptism. The third point is invite others. Invite others. Invite them into relationships with you. Invite them to consider a relationship with Jesus. Invite them to church. And so that they too might hear what God's word says and how he loves them and how he's given to them. Invite others. The fourth point. Belong together. We are made for one another God himself is three in one. He is a God in relationship, and he has made us for relationship. He made us to need one another. He made us to complement one another, to fit together. And although it's wonderful that we're here on Sunday morning, and it's wonderful that a large percentage of you stay for Sunday school or have a small group during the week, we still have a high percentage, 60-something percent, or excuse me, 67 different people, about 30-something percent every week that are not involved in a small group. Sunday morning is just the beginning. 
We need to be together because God created us together. And yes, sometimes those relationships cause friction. God does that on purpose. He wants there to be friction to cause you to grow, to strengthen your faith in him, to help you to learn to love others the right way. And then today, our fifth step is begin giving. God so loved us that he gave. He didn't condemn us, but he gave to us. And he asked us to give, to give to others, to give to support his work. And generosity should be a hallmark of our faith as Christ followers. Giving. The sixth next step we get to next week is start serving. Start serving. We're going to present you with a variety of opportunities next week. But as you're a follower of Jesus... As you've committed your life to him, as you've joined in with others in relationship, you should serve as God has created you to serve. The seventh and final next step for us is disciple others. Disciple means to apprentice, to teach, to lead, to help others learn what you have learned. And don't think, well, I have to be mature and I have to know all the answers. That's a great excuse. If you know a little bit more than somebody else, you can teach them, right? You can teach them what you know, and you can disciple others. So as we consider today, and we move into this idea of giving and generosity, I want to ask you uh, if you've got your Bible in front of you, and if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, we're going to read our key passage today. Today's sermon comes from this one text, Genesis, not Genesis, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 10 through 15. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers... For you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray together. God, as we read these words and we hear about generosity and thanksgiving and prayers and grace, we are so reminded of the way that you love us and you give to us. And that we give back to you because you didn't condemn us, but you loved us. So, Father, we pray as we open your word today that you would open our understanding and that you would move us to faith and obedience with joyfulness and with thanksgiving. And out of the way that you have supplied for us, we would be generous to supply and meet the needs of others. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And everybody said... Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. When pastors preach on giving, there's a few key New Testament passages they go to. And one of them may be the verses immediately preceding these. And 
If you look at the context in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul, the apostle, writing to the church at Corinth a few years uh, after their founding, telling them, hey, here's some things you need to do differently, and here's why you need to do them, and giving them examples, and telling them stories, and writing them principles, as you would expect. But notice what he's talking about here. He's talking about the need for an offering for the church at Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem, they were Jewish believers primarily living in Jerusalem, as you might expect. But they were under attack by the Roman governors there, and the church was very poor and in need. And so as he goes to other churches around the rest of the Roman world, he's talking to them about an offering they can give, a special offering to help provide for the needs of the church in Jerusalem. And then he gives this analogy that we find throughout Scripture. You find it repeatedly in the Old Testament, also in the New Testament. In verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. We call that the law of the plant a lot of seeds. Get corn, you got to plant corn seeds. You want to get a lot of corn seeds, you got or corn, you got to plant a lot of seeds. Anything, you can see that. It's logic. Notice verse 7, each man should give what he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so we think about this idea of how God has provided for us, and he asks us to provide for others and uh, as we've decided in our own heart. And notice what it says in verse 8 in rejoinder, God's able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, God will provide for you as you provide for others because he's God and he loves you that way. And then verse 9, this quote from the Old Testament, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. God gives to others and he asks us to do the same. As we open our understanding to our key passage today, And we see where it's going in verse 10. There are some commentators that think that verse 10 through 15 is actually like a separate letter. That somebody later, uh, an editor, took and said, hmm, we got this little small letter from Paul and let's just mash it in here because it fits. I don't believe so. It fits in the flow of things. And besides, we don't have any other letters from Paul that are only six verses long. They tend to be longer than that. If you know Paul, he has plenty to say. Amen? I think... It's right in context. As a matter of fact, it repeats some of the themes in the verses right ahead. And look with me there at verse 10. Verse 10 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That leads us to the first point on your outline today. And that first point is that God provides for my needs. God provides for my needs. The way I wrote it is stating it more simply. The way Paul said it is uh, giving you pictures, but it's stating the same things, right? Now, he who supplies seed to the sower. In other words, the farmer needs seed in order to put it in the ground. And bread for food, i.e. when you grind up the grain and make it, we all need food. And if you're like me, you love bread. Everybody have the Oprah meme in your mind right now. I love bread. Yeah, I love bread. I mean, I can eat all kinds of bread all the time. I love bread. But that picture of bread, symbolic of all food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Did you hear that? God's going to 
increase your supply. God's going to enlarge your harvest. But what harvest? Righteousness. God's going to take care of you. Your question there says, what should the result of his provision be? If God provides for us, and he meets all of our needs, he gives us the seed we need to sow, he gives us the bread we need to eat, and then it says that he will increase, then it says that he will enlarge. But what's the final word, I think, in all the translations that we might have here in English, in verse 10? The final word in verse 10, somebody say it out loud. Righteousness. Righteousness. What should the result of God's provision be for us? Righteousness. What Paul is saying in this verse of Scripture is that when we see how God has provided for us, we should be moved to righteousness because he's done it for us, and we realize it's his gift to us. Therefore, it assumes that the sins that we have will confess before him. And the needs we have will bring to him. And we will seek his righteousness, it says, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. When you give, because God's given, your life will be more like God if you give. That's pretty amazing stuff. Rick Warren says, I've seen growth come from suffering, blessing from giving, joy from obeying, honor from serving, victory from surrendering. He gives all these pictures of the kingdom truth upside down. The world sees it one way, but God does it another way. That as we give, we are blessed. As we obey, we have joy. As we serve, we have honor. As we surrender, we have victory. God provides for us in the ways the world can't understand. Go on in your passage of Scripture, verse 11. Verse 11. You will be made rich in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now that part, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul was saying, through me and my missionary band that is going with me, we're carrying your offering to the people in need in Jerusalem. So that's why he says, through us. I.e., not that you just have to give to us, but in this specific situation where we're asking you to give generously in order that offering might meet the needs, uh, specific needs of some other believers in Jesus, it's through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. But let's go back to the first part of that verse. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. That brings us to your second major point there, and that, that is that God enriches me to be generous. God gives you the means to be generous. When you give, God gives. And when you are generous, God is generous. When you open your hands, God can put something in them. When you hold your hands closed, you also can't take what God's going to give you. Open-handed blessing, the generosity that you practice, that God will bless you. Now, verse 11, in some ways, is restating verse 8, right? Look at verse 8 again. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It could say all there too, all, 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 all. God's going to provide all you need so that you can give to others. It's quite amazing. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. 
God provides for you. Generosity is such a cool thing. Generosity, more than just giving, is a state of mind. And it's, it's something to do with your passion, where your heart is. It's easy to give financially. It's easy to give your time. It's easy to give your effort where your heart is. And so your passion connects to your generosity. And then your purpose, that what you have a passion for, for you, you also naturally see the purpose for. The reason you do this thing, the reason you support this thing, the reason you give to this thing is you see the reason uh, or the why, uh, its purpose, what it's accomplishing. I think about our church in this past year and giving to grow. Giving to grow our capital campaign project to remodel the bathrooms, which have already been done, remodel the kitchens, which are 95% done. We were hoping they would be done today, but there's no grout, there's no trim and other things like that. So it's not 100% finished. So when you walk by there today, don't go, oh, what a mess. Go, oh, wow, it's almost done. I mean, if you've dealt with contractors, you know, life happens. I'll tell you what happened to our contractors. Um, They have three main people on their crew. They all got the flu. I didn't have the heart to ask who started it and gave it to the others. But I mean, they like didn't show up for a couple days in a row. We're like, where are they? They're supposed to be finishing the job. And finally, we hear from one and we all got the flu. I'm like, oh, sorry. Um, But by the way, when are you going to get back to work? (laughs) You know, we got chili cook-off coming up and we want to have this thing done. So it's not all the way done. So, oh, well, it'll be done next week. You can peek in. And matter of fact, I've invited them to be at lunch with us today. And if they do come to the chili cook-off, we're going to announce them by name and let you be friendly to them and give them plenty of chili and everything like that. Um, So maybe they'll be here. But coming back to giving to grow, it's pretty amazing to me that when we started giving to grow last year in April, we had $126,000 in that account because some people had given for years into that account of giving to grow. Our cellular tower that is the cross right out there, that money goes into giving to grow. That's over $800 a month goes into that account for giving to grow. And giving to grow is about building renovations, property of our church, right? So we started with 126000 We had a goal of 310000 And you may remember that last year on Palm Sunday, we called Celebration Sunday, that by your gifts that day and by your pledges that day, we came in with right at $330,000 already given or pledged to be given. I was absolutely amazed at your generosity. And guess where we are right now? We're at $289,253.58 as of a couple weeks ago. And you see, we're missing one leaf on our tree. Each one of those leaves symbolizes $22,000, and we're that close to our goal. So can you give yourselves a hand for your generosity and giving? You don't sound as excited as I am about your generosity. I mean, this is pretty cool, because do the math here, right, folks? If you do the math and consider that when we finish giving to grow, we ask people to give through June 1st, 2020, so just a few months from now. And if $330,000 comes in, like is pledged, as a matter of fact, there's almost, uh, almost $6,000 that wasn't pledged that came in. But if $330,000 comes in and we had 126 already, that means you all, and there's not that many of us, in one year's time, in addition to tithing and meeting our budget needs like you have over $400,000, you gave an additional $200,000 in one year's time. Nobody else is excited about that? When I did that math, I was like, 
that's pretty cool. Look at what my church did. I mean, I didn't do anything except stand up here and tell you about it, and you responded. I was so excited this past week when I did the math on that and really let it sink in that I thought, I've got to tell them that. This is the perfect Sunday that God has provided for you that you might provide for others to meet the needs. And I know it's a building we're talking about here, folks, but it's a building that's a tool for God and for His purposes to minister to us and anybody that comes and these things that we do. So you've got the bathrooms, you've got the kitchen, and the next thing is the sanctuary. We're going to refinish the ceiling, repaint the ceiling, repaint the walls, do electronic updates in here, and we'll see what all those will be in the weeks and months ahead because we wanted to do one project at a time. Even though we know the basic cost of this, we're not going to get ahead of ourselves. So let's answer the question there to your second major point. What's the outcome of my generosity. What is the outcome of my generosity? What was it in the end of verse 11? Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's why I inserted the little giving to grow thing here. Because it's thanksgiving, right? We can look around and go, okay, on my own, I couldn't give in a couple hundred thousand dollars. I don't even make a couple hundred thousand dollars. But together with my church, we can give and then we can thank and thank God for what he's done as he's blessed our families that we had enough extra to give to meet needs like this. How amazing is that? The outcome of our generosity is thanksgiving. Let's move on to verse 12. This service that you perform is not supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Hey, there's Thanksgiving again, but let's dial that in a little more closely. Your third major point is that God meets others' needs through me. God meets the needs of other people through me. That's what it said there. This service, i.e. your offering that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So it's meeting their needs, and because you've met their needs, they're going to thank. When you read in the book of Acts, and you see when Paul gets back to Jerusalem, how the people in Jerusalem, even recorded briefly in the book of Acts, give thanks for the offerings of those that the Corinthian church have given to them. God blesses us that we might bless others. And as we give, we give opportunity for thanks and we grow in righteousness. There's another interesting statistic that um, Don shared with us recently, Don Witt, our financial secretary, that blew me away. Because the last time I asked in 2012, I said, Don, I'm just curious, how many unique giving units do we have in our church? And so most families give, you know, they have one checking account, they give that way, right? Some families have two checking accounts and they give that way. But I said, how many unique giving units do we have? In 2012, when I asked that question, we had 57 unique giving units in our church in 2012. This past year, 2019, 202 unique giving units. I was floored. I went, there's only 209 people here on an average Sunday how do we have 202 unique giving units? Do we have children with checking accounts now? I mean, how does this work? But you do the math, right? Okay, so we have 264 people that are members of Southview. 76 people that are attenders of Southview. So you're not members for whatever reason, but you've been here long enough, we call you a regular attender, right? So that is 340 people. Now, some of us are here every Sunday. Some of us are here about half the Sunday. Some of us are here when we can get here, because life, you know, right? Right? And so if you cut that in half, that's about 170 people. 
Then we have a category in our membership we call children of members. There's 58 kids in that category. Uh, they haven't yet trusted Christ as their Savior or Lord or hadn't been baptized as a believer. Therefore, they're a child of a member, not yet a member of the church, right? There's 58 there. Again, you cut that in half, that's 29. So you're up to what? 200. And then we have this group of people we call in progress. Those are folks that are guests that are just visiting us, and they're trying to check out and decide, hey, is Southview going to be the church for me, right? Um, uh, and so there's probably 10 or 12 of those every Sunday, and that's how you get to our 209, 210 average every Sunday that's here in the pews, in my opinion. But what it means is we've got this group of adults that is Almost 400 people that could be here on any given Sunday. And then that's why we can have 202 unique giving units to pay their tithes and offerings to meet all our budget needs and to give so generously to giving to grow. That God meets others' needs through me. No one of us could do this on our own, but we do it together as we share our generosity. Let's look at your question there. How does giving uh, how does my giving overflow is the question. How does your giving overflow? It said in the end of verse 12 there that your giving would overflow in many expressions of thanks to God. That the church at Jerusalem, when they received the offering from the church at Corinth, would overflow in thanksgiving. But what about you? What's the overflow in your heart? What's the overflow in those you've given to? What do you witness as you're generous and you give with passion and purpose? comes back to you in overflow. Let's move on to verse 13. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for uh, your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Your fourth point on your outline about verse 13 is that God receives praise when I give. Paul is saying that the church in Jerusalem wasn't just going to thank you and overflow with expressions of thanks because of your generosity, but he said in the end of verse 11 that your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He's reiterating it here and really expanding upon it. He says, because of your generosity, the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and for everyone else. People will praise God because of your generosity. We praise God because he supplies for our church. We praise God in our tithes, our offerings, our giving to grow. We praise God because you give. God gives to you and you provide for others. And when you do, God perceives the praise. Your question there asks, how does giving complement the gospel? Now, that word complement with an E in the middle means to fit together, right? Somebody that complements someone else. Like peas complement carrots and peanut butter is complemented by jelly. Complement with an I in the middle is, hey, that's a really nice shirt you have on, Ryan. That's a different kind of compliment, right? Verse 13 again. Read it again because that word gospel is in there. Because of your service, by which you've proved yourself, for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. 
What Paul is saying is when you give, when you are generous, when you have faith in God to give because he's provided for you and knowing that he will provide more for you as you need so that you can provide for the needs of others, that that complements your confession of the gospel, that you demonstrate you believe God's word, you demonstrate that you have received Jesus as your savior and that because God has given to you, you will give to others. You live out the gospel when you give. I see that in verse 13. God so loved us, he gave, and he calls us to give. He calls us to be doers of the word. We know that it's not by anything we do, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that we earn our salvation, but because of what he has done for us, because we are saved, Ephesians 2, 10, that we are created to do good works in Christ. And James 1.22 says that we are to be doers of the word. In other words, if the word says give and give generously, we give and we give generously. If the word says obey, we obey. If the word says we have faith, we have faith. If the word says love others, we love others. If the word says honor others, we honor others. We do what God's word says because we're believers. We demonstrate the genuineness of our love when we obey You think all throughout the Gospel of John, all through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it's about obedience and love all tied up together. 1st John 4.21 says this, Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. That when we love God, we demonstrate that by loving others. And one of the many ways we can demonstrate our love to others is to give to support the needs of others. Let's come on to our final two verses in our passage of Scripture today. We've seen the results of giving so far. Righteousness, thanks, supplying the needs of others, blessings, that complementary ability with the gospel. These are pretty amazing. I like the way Paul ends it. Verse 14 and 15. Verse 14 and 15. Read with me. And in their prayers, so the church at Jerusalem, for you, because their heart will go out to you, Because of the surpassing grace God has given you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So he's continuing the thought he started in verse 13. Because of your service, which you've provided, they'll praise God because of your generosity. And in their prayers, he says, for their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace of God has given you, thanks be to God. His indescribable gift. Your fifth point there that says, God gives me grace. God gives me grace. That word, charis, means grace. And it's a grace gift. Their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Of all the things I've said this morning, Maybe one thing I might want you to know before you leave. Not that God loves you. Not that God has gifted you and called you to give to others because of his gifts to you. But this thing about God's surpassing grace given to you. The phrase I use so often, no matter who you are, No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's been done to you, God loves you. And he 
in his grace chose to love you and will forgive you and will give you life like you can't imagine if you'll only trust him. God gives me grace, surpassing grace, amazing grace, unbelievable, infinite, astounding, indescribable grace. Verse 15 says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Does anybody have an idea what, or maybe should I say who, the indescribable gift is? Okay, everybody, on one, Sunday school answer. Jesus. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The ultimate gift is Jesus. Think about what we sing in Handel's Messiah from Isaiah, the wonderful counselor, mighty God. Think about that God so loved us that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. Think about Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him over freely for us, Jesus. And if you would please turn back in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, right towards the end of your Bible, just in front of the book of Revelation, you get 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Jude. And 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4 begins that paragraph in my Bible at least in verse 7. First John chapter 4 verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. But look at verse 9 and 10. That's where I want us to focus for a moment. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Your life should be a life in Christ because that's what God intends for his love for us. Verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. God gives me grace. And because he gives me grace, he sent me Jesus to save me from all my sins in order that I might have a relationship with him. Not because I could earn it, not because I deserve it, not because I'm good enough, but because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. He loves me. Which begs a question for us in conclusion. Why would God lavish such grace on me? It's a mystery. Like I said at the time of our offering today, Jesus reveals a God who does not demand, but who gives. To love is to give. To love well is to be generous, to give with passion, and to give with purpose, as God has motivated you. Let's pray together. God, our Father, it's our prayer that as we consider this topic of giving, that first and foremost in our mind is your giving to us. We think about how much time we have and how we need to spend it. We think about how much money we have and all the bills and responsibilities we have there. 
We think about how much energy we have and there's only so much to go around. How much focus depends on the day and the bandwidth we have to consider things and put our minds on them. We pray, Father, that we would be motivated by your giving and your generosity, your grace and your love. And we would open our hands to you that we might receive every good and perfect gift that we might give. That we might give as you gave in order to grow in righteousness, in order to gain a bunch of thanksgiving, to share in our blessings, to demonstrate the gospel. So God, whatever it is that you've convicted us of today, may it be rooted in the fact that you love us and you give grace to us. And every time we give and in whatever way we give, we celebrate your love for us. So Father, we come before you now with our hearts. And I pray that we come with our hands open towards you, committing ourselves to be obedient whether you're calling us to trust Christ as our Savior. If somebody's made that decision today, I pray they'd walk down the aisle and talk to me that we can all know and celebrate with them. You're calling us to commit to give regularly to the church because we've been stingy, but you want us to be gracious. Would we make that decision today? And would you provide for us faith as much as finances? You're calling us to serve in some way and You're going to hear some ways about that next week that we would say yes, not no. And we would realize that the excuses may just be excuses, not you. So God, as we surrender to you, would you get all the glory as we give thanks for all you've done. In his name we pray, amen.